0: We have some very special guests joining us for the evening. They are Elizabeth Oakes, the director of the University of Iowa String Quartet Residency Program here in the School of Music. Nice to have you here, Beth. It's
1: great to be here, John. Yeah,
0: thank you. And members of the Elias String Quartet, uh, all the way from Great Britain and various parts of, of the world. And uh, I'd like to introduce them. Uh, first violinist is Sarah Bitwak. The second violinist is Donald Grant. And the violist is Simona Vandergeisen. And the cellist is Marie Bitwak. So they are here at the University of Iowa for a week-long residency that was sponsored by the String Quartet Program and also by Hanscher Auditorium. Uh, The quartet will be performing at Hanscher on March 6th, and uh, you can go to the Hanscher website to find all details about that. And the String Quartet Residency Program has a lot of things happening. Some have already happened, and some still lie ahead, and we can talk about that in in just a moment with Beth. you and I had a conversation, Beth, a few months ago, and we were thinking of a potential theme. I knew the quartet was coming, and she said, you know, I'm kind of interested in this whole notion of translating music. And when I asked you to explain what you really uh, meant by that, I thought it was really intriguing. So can you explain it to everybody listening?
2: Sure. Well,
1: what I was talking about with Joan was an experience I had. This was a number of years ago um, in my quartet, the My Quartet, um, and we had this great opportunity to teach outside of Beijing. It was actually right before the Olympics was going to be there, and it was really incredible, and it was my first trip there, and, um, and I spoke absolutely no Mandarin, and the students with whom I was working um, spoke certainly more English than I spoke Mandarin. I, I got up to being able to count to um, four, which I could get through any piece that was in four uh, <laughs> <laughs> help with that. But um, so really we found ourselves communicating mostly through music. And these were extraordinarily talented students. And I had one group come in th- to play the Dvorak American Quartet for me. And I... As they started, I, I was really struck because there was something about it to me in terms of the way they were playing that, that sounded Chinese to me. I couldn't put a, my finger on it. I just thought it, it sort of belied a, a Chinese or Mandarin accent to me. And I, I was about to think about my feedback, and then I thought, well, what does that make my approach? Does my approach have an American accent? You know, mm-hmm. And I, it just really started making me question a lot of things and, and what things that we bring to the music that are not necessarily written into the music but are kind of a part of our cultural perspective and so and then I was also thinking because it was the Dvorak American I'm like well he wrote it when he was in America and he actually wrote it when he was in Iowa and what are the expectations with that so it was this conundrum that kind of had me spinning for a while so I sat with it and hopefully said some things that were helpful to the students. But it, it kind of never left me. And then um, recently I read a book by um, Dr. Damani Phillips, who's on the jazz faculty here at the University of Iowa. And it's titled, What Is This Thing Called Soul? And it's conversations of, um, about jazz education and black culture. And he sort of describes some similar issues that he sees in um, higher education when you pull jazz out of the communities from which it came from and put it into basically what is a different culture and a culture that was really um, created to especially teach classical music and it started to really resonate with me and some of the the issues and and, um, things that I was observing. So I became more and more interested in the idea of having um, groups from Europe come to, to work with our students, and and it is one regret in my own training that I never studied in Europe, and I gr- regret it even more now after <laughs> sort of thinking about this this stuff. And so, um, I was so delighted to be able to partner with Hancher Auditorium on this, and to have the Elias be willing to spend. Um, uh, little over a week of their precious days in the mm-hmm. States. That's a big thing to ask for a group that's traveling internationally to spend this time with us, and also for international programs for being such an obvious and willing partner to mm-hmm. explore these things.
0: Well, yeah, of course, it's a complete pleasure for us, and, and I, I do find this topic so intriguing. As we were working with members of the quartet in planning the evening's mm-hmm. program, do you have any thoughts about this whole notion of translating music?
3: I, I think it's a, uh, it's a very interesting thing maybe different countries having a, a different stamp and identity on, on music. And it's something we talk a lot about in rehearsals actually, almost how to, how to get away from that so that we can interpret every composer differently so that it's not just our own mm-hmm. personalities coming across or our own nationality, but, but actually the, the voice of the composer.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have more time to talk about this topic um, after a little music. I think we wanted to kind of kick things off with a few minutes of music to get everybody kind of in the mood. And uh, so, Donald, would you like to explain what you're going to play?
3: Yeah, so I grew up in the highlands of Scotland where there's a lot of folk music played. And um, my family also are are folk musicians. So we're going to begin by playing some tunes from Scotland. The first is called Da Day Dawn, and it comes from the Shetland Islands. And we think this is the oldest tune that exists in Scotland. Um, It goes right back to the time of the Vikings, actually. And um, Nowadays, it's traditionally played on New Year's morning, when the fiddle player in their community would go around this, uh, go around playing this tune to wake everyone up. (laughs) Um, Has anyone been to Shetland? No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I've been a couple of times and um, it's, it's an amazing island, you know, it's, it's quite far north of, uh, of Scotland, it's basically between Scotland and Scandinavia, and uh, it's a very br- bleak island because it gets battered by the wind, so there's hardly a tree that exists on, on Shetland, and um, I've only been in summer, but it was pretty bleak then, <laughs> so, and I think this tune kind of catches the atmosphere of, of what New Year's morning must be like in Shetland. And then we'll play a tune called Callum's Road. Um, Callum was the lighthouse keeper on the island of Rathsea. Rathsea is off the west coast of Scotland. And uh, they didn't have proper roads there until fairly recently. So uh, they campaigned for years and years to the council, didn't ever have any luck. And then Callum's wife Lexi got ill and she had to be going over to the mainland to get to the hospital quite regularly. So uh, Callum took matters into his own hands And he went out shopping and bought a spade, a pick, a wheelbarrow and a book that was called How to Build a Road. (laughs) Uh, And and he did it. It took him years, but uh, he did do it. (laughs) And then we'll finish with a reel, uh, which is uh, I wrote it as a birthday present for a friend of mine called Mary.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for starting us off this way. So when we think about this, some of us might think, ah, it sounds a little bit like Scottish music, right? What sounds like Scottish music there? What are are the elements of this that make us think that it belongs to a certain region of the world?
3: It's it's a really uh, difficult question uh, to answer um, thoroughly. There are, of course... um the first thing might be the type of harmony that's used uh, and that would be easily identified as as Scotland. So, uh, for instance, in this first tune, using a a, a particular mode, that if we could play the same tune and and actually change the the mode or the the scale, if you like, the the scale that it's written in, we could change that very slightly and it would sound like it was from a very different country. In fact, I could show you. If you could play the A drone, Mary. So we heard, yeah, but if I changed
2: it to, yeah, we're hundreds of miles away, (laughs) (laughs)
3: thousands. But actually, they were exactly the same notes, actually, just put into a different scale.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: And then to go on to go on from there, um, there's the ornamentation that, mm. that you use. So that in the left hand, um, you, there's various kind of trills and ornaments that are that are particular to Scotland. And and not only that, but I'm from the west coast of Scotland, and there's some ornaments that I I use that someone on the east coast of Scotland wouldn't mm. use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, exactly the same thing goes for the technique in the bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's various whether you use an up or a down bow, that would change on, on depending on, you know, which country you're from. I mean, obviously Irish and Scottish music are very closely related. Mm. In fact, we have some of the same tunes and some of the same same stories and legends in our songs. Um, and it's a very subtle difference in how they're played that, yeah. that makes it identifiable. Um, and then there's just one last thing, which is this thing that we just can't explain. <laughs> there's a certain magic that that to for a certain nationality, you know, language affects all music. We we talk a lot about that, you know, in, in, in all the music we play, the language of a country, the, the landscape of a country. Um lots of people come up to me afterwards and say, Oh, I saw the hills of Scotland or I felt the the winter. And it's true, and and somehow, um, that comes across in music, mm-hmm. and, and we don't quite know why. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I, I know. I totally agree with that, and I I love that aspect. This sort of kind of magical thing that's hard to, to um, identify. As you were describing these things, I was thinking like it's it is like language, and I know for myself there was a point where I was like, well, you know, music is universal, but it's actually very culturally located. You know, it's 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 something that we can all respond to, and we don't necessarily need to be knowledgeable of. of. To appreciate music from a different culture, but it is located in a culture and is evocative of a culture, and so these things that you're talking about, like they they belie, you know, where it's from. But in a sense, you don't have to be knowledgeable to be transported there, right? It's it's we we um, you take us there whether we understand exactly what we're hearing or not, and it's an it's an incredible thing, I think. Yeah.
0: But but so as a musician prepares uh, a piece of music that is from a very different culture, um, do you feel that there's there's a need to sort of Research the composer. Research the land this this music came from. You know, get sort of a a broader kind of cultural and maybe uh, generational, or or you know, uh, go to whatever century it comes from, and and kind of think about it in a different set of terms than you might a piece that was just written last week. (laughs) Uh,
4: Yes, the answer is yes, (laughs) Um, and I think I think nowadays it's getting easier and easier to you know get. Information um, with the internet and everything, um, but I, I'm, you know, back in the days when we made, maybe where travel was less easy and where we didn't have CDs and where we didn't have, you know, you'd you'd have to just go there and hear, you know, hear the language, hear the music that was played in in the pubs or in the, you know, um, and and kind of live live and see what the composer w- was living and seeing at the time. Um, and, but, yeah, there's definitely lots of information to be taken for us to familiar- familiarize ourselves with that world.
1: Yeah. I have a good friend who's a violist. Her name's Helen Callis. And she's, um, she's grew up in London. And and I was talking with her about this idea. And I've always loved how she played the Rebecca Clark sonata. I was just was like, I don't know. There's something magical about it, the way he plays. She's like, you know, it's so interesting. Because I grew up right around, like, I passed the street where she lived. Like, she it had sort of sunk into her bones without her even thinking about that. She's like, I wonder if that's what it is. I said, I don't know. But whatever it is, it works. But, you know, it, it was just, it's it's a fascinating thing to me. And I know you guys did this Beethoven project, right? Which, and did you all visit Beethoven? House or like, and I, I just felt looking at your website like you really immersed yourself in that world as you were taking on the Beethoven cycle.
5: Yeah, that was definitely a big part of um, somehow, you know, getting under his skin somehow. Just we needed to go and um, well visit his house, but there's, there's something about immersing yourself in his music and you know listening to as many different interpretations as possible, and getting information... Not information, but... um, Well, we played for um, people who had lived with that music for so many years, Mm -hmm. and so um, they can pass on what that can feel like. Um, I I, I felt like that was a really important part of it.
3: Um. And and just to add... uh, uh, to another composer, Benjamin Britten, who was English. Uh, when learning his quartet, we went to his home, uh, we visited his library. Mm-hmm. We, and again, it's, it's landscape, it's language, it's all these things. Um, but then, then with the added advantage that, and with, with Beethoven it happened too, but we could see the original manuscript. And that's an amazing thing because these these... Guys or, or, or women, these composers, uh, they come, kind of become almost, they c- almost a fictional character. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems mm-hmm. so long ago, w- but they were actually real people. And I think when you, when you get to see their handwriting or their, or their home, it kind of makes it all real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly, you know, looking at Beethoven's scores, I mean, their uh, manuscripts, they're, they're a thing of art in themselves. You know, you can kind of see the character r- of, of, of the music from the way he's written it, yeah, mm-hmm. which is kind of extraordinary.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you can see which bit he struggled with, yeah. and which which yeah. bit, which bits he didn't. You know, mm-hmm. some some things are written just in in one go without any mistakes, and then some bits have been crossed out and crossed out again, and it's it's
0: fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, another thing that that came up in the conversation with Beth, related to um, the way different performers or different ensembles over time play certain pieces, and the way those pieces are then heard by reviewers or audiences, and if if, um, uh, you know, someone who's not a musician thinks, well, the notes are all on the page, I mean, how different can it be? Mm -hmm. But it can be very different, right? How do you find uh, your do you feel that you're influenced by uh, performances you hear on c d um do you do you do you feel that what you hear other people do affects the way you also interpret that piece of music, or do
5: you always start with sort of a, a clean slate <laughs> I think we have slightly different approaches maybe between us, but um personally, I really like to not listen to anything mm-hmm. while I'm learning a piece, mm-hmm. because I feel like, I, ne- you know, having listened to it maybe before, um, yeah. to familiarize myself, but I feel like once I'm getting into it, I need to find my way in it, and I get really influenced by it, what I hear. Yeah. So, um, that, that and then I need to kind of leave it for a while until I can listen to something else, because then once I've kind of found my way, I find it quite hard even mm-hmm. to listen to another, mm-hmm. another way. But I think we, we're quite... Different, maybe. Yeah.
4: I I also think that no matter how hard you try not to be influenced, you always are yeah. by you yeah. know by what you l- you've lived through, by you know growing up, what you've heard when you were growing up, or um, and it's 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 just a case of doing your best to be um, impartial, or you know to just try and discover the music the notes, mm-hmm. I- which is the message that the composer has sent us, or, mm-hmm. you know, left left us. Um, but it can also be hugely um, enriching, I find, to listen to lots of different mm-hmm. um, different versions or whether in a concert or, or in a CD. I mean, it's uh, I love going to a concert and hearing something that we've played a lot and played really differently, and I love loving it, you Uh know, like (laughs) sometimes, sometimes it, you know, I'm really convinced and it doesn't mean I would like to play it like that, Mm -hmm. but I, I love it on the moment. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that's just so beautiful. I'd
1: love to second that because you know I spent 22 years playing in a quartet and now I have this wonderful job where I get to listen to quartets all the time <laughs> and that actually wasn't, that was a luxury back when I was playing because I didn't have as much time and certainly it was more often than that I listened to recordings than live performances because I was always performing and I have just loved that about my job because I feel like now I get to rediscover the pieces each time and hear something different and a different perspective. And I know that if I were to go back to it, I would come back with different information, having lived through all these experiences. Mm-hmm. Like when you guys played the Death and the Maiden at the Writers' Workshop yesterday, and it was st- stunning. It was The whole concert was stunning. And, but I was really struck by your approach to the opening chords and like, the sound and no vibrato and the way you created this incredibly painful sound. It was really different than anything I had ever heard. And I just thought, oh. If I ever play Death and the Maiden again, I want to try that. Like that was so good. I you know?
5: also just want—I I think it's so valuable to for us to work with living composers, because that somehow, uh, you know, when when you can when you get to talk to the person about, you know, oh, what does that mean? It means this, you know, and the kinds of questions that we want to ask all these guys who are not here anymore. Um, and that also gives us a kind of insight into what these other guys meant. you know y- when you when you know that you have only you can only write a note and you can write a, you know um, a dynamic, you can write a few th- more things, but there's so many options on how to do it. And so when you've got to work with somebody who's actually written it, you realize how many questions you can ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And I guess you write as well, so that, that's even another step, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like when you actually go through the process of writing yourself, then you, you know even more, that kind of backward process. Mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, I think we have some more music ahead of us, right? Some more Scottish tunes?
3: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so... Good segue, we're now going to play something (laughs) that I wrote. Um, This was um, a tune I wrote for two friends of mine who got married. Um, One friend who's from the Isle of Skye, and I used to spend all my summer holidays there. And uh, she had her wedding in Amsterdam, so I wrote them this tune. Um, It's a really lovely present to be able to give someone a tune. Um, But one year, I had nine friends getting married, (laughs) and that was a few too many tunes to write.
2: (laughs)
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was a piece by Donald Grant, who's the second violinist here. This is the Elias String Quartet, and um, the members of the quartet are Sarah Bidwock, first violin, second violin, Donald Grant. The violist is Simona van der Geisen, and the cellist is Marie Bitwok. And uh, this is World Canvas. Uh, this is the end of the first segment. Uh, Come back for the second segment, please. Um, All of these programs are available on iTunes and Public Radio Exchange and the International Programs website. So for UI International Programs, that's the end of this segment, and we'll see you soon. Hello, and thanks for joining us for Translating Music, the second portion of tonight's program on World Canvas. Uh, I'm Joan Kerr from the University of Iowa International Programs, and we're coming to you from Merge in downtown Iowa City. Uh, In the first segment of our program, we had a focus on nationality in music, and that took us on a very interesting journey through Scotland. Uh, In this hour, we're going to spend time discussing storytelling through music with a stirring piece by Czech composer Leoš Janáček as the cornerstone of the discussion. And the best part is that we'll hear a live performance of this piece, Intimate Letters, played by our special guest, the Elias Quartet. Uh, first violinist is Sarah Bityok. And second violinist is Donald Grant. Hi. And the uh, violist is Simone van der Geisen. Thank you. And the cellist is Marie Bityard. A real pleasure to have you all here. And then Beth Oakes from the University of Iowa School of Music. She's the director of the String Quartet Residency Program here at the university. A longtime quartet member herself with our, our wonderful Maya Quartet that played here. Uh, it played from this location and all over the world for many, many years. But um, she was kind enough to bring us the Elias String Quartet. Uh, and we also have to thank Hancher Auditorium for their... Uh, generosity in sharing this wonderful quartet with us tonight. So thank you all for coming. This is going to be a real treat. Storytelling through music. So um, it is at a very elementary level, it seems to me, as, as a non-musician, there are some pieces of music that feel like they are perhaps beautiful compositions, but there may not be the attention, intention of the composer to, to sort of create a storyline throughout. And then there are others that seem very programmatic and and seem to have a very specific story they're trying to tell. So that's a non-musician's approach to all of this. And you can appreciate the music either way. But I know that in this particular segment, we wanted to talk about intimate letters, about the fact that it is really um, uh, given birth because of very intense personal circumstances of the composer and his life and times and so on. So uh, I'll start with you, Beth. Um, Storytelling through music.
1: I think back to kind of my own roots and what got me interested in music. And, and I would say that music with a program, like when I was first becoming aware of my love of music was really enticing to Mm -hmm. me. Like, I'm thinking back to, I mean, Fantasia. Like, you know, just that was a formative thing for me to see these, you know, the Pastoral Symphony and seeing kind of these ideas of put, you know, in a visual. I also, I think I'm a pretty visual person when I think about Mm -hmm. music. But another thing I was thinking about was the Berlioz march to the scaffold, you know, and just when the head drops at the end. (laughs) I was, you know, in junior high orchestra being like completely fascinated by that idea that music could be so representative Mm -hmm. of something. Um, and I would say that 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 has stuck with me. You know, you look at Shostakovich's Eighth Quartet, and and you um, look at the, like pieces like the Moldau, and these things that have sort of um, yeah. things that link you to them. Um, I also am. A, um, closet English major. And so like anything <laughs> that had text, like I just mm-hmm. always love figuring out some kind of way to, to link the music with mm-hmm. the text. And so I know when my quartet was doing the um, Christmas Sonata by Janacek and the Intimate Letters, like I loved it there were these kind of literary connections that for me, I found very inspiring as I would think musically.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah so so let me open it up to the quartet here um and so that we can learn a little bit about Janacek hear a little bit about this piece and um and what the origin was
4: um so uh Janacek was when when he was in his 60s si- he fell in love with a much younger woman uh Camilla who was um happily married and sort of didn't really return um his love and at first, she wasn't actually too pleased with it either, but she kind of yeah, she came around after a bit but so they they started corresponding, and it was ma- mainly him but um he started writing to her, and today there are about seven hundred surviving letters um most of them from him, because although she wrote too, she asked him to destroy the letters because she was very um very conscious of staying proper and she really didn't um, want anyone to think that, you know, anything was happening and um, so... Um, so, yeah, and he, he just wrote to her, you know, during some years, there was every day uh, and, yeah, there are all these surviving letters and and some of them have been destroyed so there may be, you know, he may have <laughs> written double. Anyway, um, he... So he fell in love with her and he basically this piece, Intimate Letters, is all about her and how, you know, where they met and what he felt when they met. And um I think he wrote her in quite a lot of his pieces, in his operas. Um but but this is explicitly um kind of their story. Mm-hmm. Uh and there's uh, I think we we might show you this there's quite a few Bits of music that are supposed to represent certain aspects of of their relationship um for example, the very start of the piece um is well it is her theme, so it's you know what he felt when they met it's 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 camilla's theme <laughs> So this is the the, the love theme, um, and then straight away we go into uh, sort of eight bars, which are really strange. And apparently, this is how she took his breath away. literally like <laughs> he just he couldn't breathe um and then there's another another important motif in the piece which comes back a lot which is the the motif of fate Uh janicek was really you know for him it was it was fate that they had met and she was his destiny um and that's so that that little motif comes back you know with different notes and different sounds, but throughout yeah,
2: yeah throughout the whole yeah. piece
4: um and that's kind of the yeah. <laughs> the fate and then i mean the the piece is filled with you know references um we just thought we'd pick a couple the the next one is in the uh in the slow movement. The slow movement is about his fantasy that she is having a child. Um, yeah, his well, his child. Yeah, his, well, <laughs> his child, yeah. Uh, funny enough, in the letters he doesn't ex- ex- explicitly say his child, but but it's um, yeah, basically I- in a lot of the letters there is, uh, and actually, indeed, in the in the piece in the last movement, there is Janacek sort of. Convincing himself that they are together and they are married and they are, you know, he kind of he was living in, in his dreams really, um, so and in this piece there is a lot of kind of his wishes and his desires um, so this is the lullaby, that is written for their potential child. <laughs> And then um, a little bit later comes the baby's heartbeat. Just one last one. Um we actually have childbirth <laughs> in this woman. <laughs> <movement. laughs>
0: sounds about right.
4: <laughs>
2: Anybody here? <laughs> <again>? <laughs> 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 so
1: um, these are
4: just a few uh, examples of yeah. the things that, you know, ha- how someone can put their story into music and mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, image, imagery in the music. Mm-hmm. Really now, I understand you, you also have excerpts from the letters. Are we going to
0: hear any uh, excerpts? That would be great
3: just one thing as as mary gets ready one thing i'd love to to add about the storytelling thing is that i find it fascinating how how all of us in this room could hear a piece or this piece and make up our own very different story to go along so it's not necessarily about something very specific it's and that's that's kind of the the beauty Mm -hmm, of it all mm -hmm. that it will mean something we'll all take something very different away from this piece, and it's something I use a lot with students, and it's amazing to hear what what stories students come mm-hmm. come up with yeah. for a piece that they're playing. It's really yeah. really Great. fascinating.
5: Great. And actually, just following on from that, when we rehearse, that's a really big part of our rehearsal process is to agree on what we're trying to say with the music, even when it's music that's not programmatic. But I think it's really hard to imagine music that doesn't have. Something you know, so uh, there's always either an emotion or uh, um, a landscape or an image. Sometimes we just make a face, you know, at <laughs> each other, and that's what we mean, you know, <laughs> um, just to try to agree on how well have a communal image for for what we decide to for how we can inter- interpret the piece. Yeah. So. yeah. so this is just a s- short excerpt.
4: Um, of one of the letters Um, and this is one that he wrote to her uh, while he was composing this piece Um, actually he he had finished composing it and he was uh, starting to work on it with the Moravian Quartet so he says at three o'clock the Moravian Quartet should be coming to my place to play my your composition I'm already panting to hear it So they play me the first and third movements, and, Camilla, it will be beautiful, strange, unrestrained, inspired, a composition beyond all usual conventions. Together, I think that will triumph. It's my first composition, which sprang from directly experienced feeling. Before then, I composed only from things remembered, But this piece, Intimate Letters, was written in fire, earlier pieces in hot ash. The composition will be dedicated to you. You're the reason for it, and to compose it was the greatest pleasure for me. I listen to their playing. I listen, did I write that? Those cries of joy? But what a strange thing, also cries of terror after a lullaby. Exaltation, a warm declaration of love, imploring, untamed longing. Resolution relentlessly to fight with the world over you. Moaning, confiding, fearing, crushing everything beneath me if it resisted. Standing in wonder before you at our first meeting. Amazement at your appearance, as if it had fallen from the bottom of a well And from that very moment, I drank the water of that well. Confusion and high-pitched song of victory. You've found a woman who was destined for you. Just my speech and just your amazed silence. Oh, it's a work as if carved out of living flesh. I think that I won't write more profound or truer one. So I end. Sleep well. Yours forever, Leos.
0: Thank you. Gosh, well, do you feel ready? Uh, We can go ahead and hear the entire piece then. Uh, So this is the Elias String Quartet with Intimate Letters of Lea Shanicek. Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, for anybody who joined us uh, midway there, um, this is the Elias String Quartet, um, a young quartet, but you've played together for many years. Tell us a little bit about the about the story of the quartet and how long, at least most of you, have been together. <laughs> oh, you were. <laughs>
3: yeah, okay, so we were formed originally uh, 19 years ago at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, and it was myself and Marie. The cellist and we were put into a group um, and that combination lasted kind of unusually for students it lasted for a long time for four years at which point we decided we really wanted to be a professional quartet and try and make a go of it so then we got a new viola player at that point and a year after that we uh, our first violinist left and so seemed a good idea to ask Marie's sister Sarah, to come <laughs> join us. So yeah. um, I think that's been 14 or 15 years ago. Yeah. And um, we're very, very fortunate to have Simona with us. Our our viola player currently is, has an injury to his arm, and so Simona has been joining us for the past few months, um, yeah. which has been fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as a performing ensemble, a quartet requires a lot of uh, mutual understanding and finesse and... Uh, whatever else, one sometimes hears about quartets that sort of shatter over time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, how do you all manage the, the intensity of, of uh, this kind of life? <laughs>
4: um, we don't shout very much, mm-hmm. but we do <laughs> disagree and we do argue. Um, we were talking about this the other day, the, the quartet is often um referred to as a four way mar- marriage um, yeah. you know we w- basically we we work together, we plan our business together, we travel together, we sleep in the same hotels we you know just yeah. you name it we yeah. do it yeah. <laughs> we do it together and um so it's uh important to have i think to have some uh, space outside of uh, outside of quartet um there was a time when when we were really working full time and really hard where where we would actually choose to for example if we had a free evening to have dinner separately mm-hmm. um each on our own uh, rather than together just just for you know the personal space but it's also um just incredible to go through that with mm-hmm. you know with three other people and to to um to dig dig so deep in uh, together, you know, in 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 the music, but also in the re- the relationship that we create uh, t- between us. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not not sure I'm making myself mm-hmm. understood, but uh, it's um, it's kind of a lifelong search. Yeah. together.
0: Yeah, no, it's terrific.
4: And and Beth,
0: as you uh, teach your students in the string quartet program here, um, how do you prepare them for the kind of of of, uh, intensity they'll be facing. Well,
1: you know, I I think, um, I mean, one of the things I just love is having them come here that these groups play, you know, as you were talking about this, like that kind of intimacy. And I just loved having that seat right next to them. I'm like, oh, you know, there's something being so up close to that incredibly powerful experience. The only way you can do that is really time. I mean, spending that time digging that deeply together for so many years. and, And that's what we have the privilege of being a part of and kind of witnessing and that's what to me makes it so spectacular. So I know for my students that just coming to the concerts makes a huge impression on them in terms of understanding there are things that we talk about but there's nothing like hearing it Mm -hmm. live, um, Mm -hmm. hearing it in performance. And so that's very very important to me and why I think it's so important that we were able to continue bringing such high-level amazing playing Mm -hmm. to this community and have my students bear witness to that.
0: Uh, well, I think we're almost at the point where we have to wrap up the programme. Would you mind, as I say my goodbyes, thinking about some short little something you could play for us? Yeah, I, of I, course. Uh, great.
3: Um, actually, I'm going to change what the plan, but yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll play you um, a tune that comes right from where I where I come from, from Roybridge, so we we'll do Sheila's. Yeah, I'm just just by itself and uh, yeah so this is uh, my village is called Roybridge and and this is a Gaelic song that's written by one of our most prolific Gaelic poets um, called Sheilas Nekepi and um, this was a song that was written at the time of time of the Jacobite rebellion Mm -hmm. and she wrote it to encourage the men to go out and fight Um, and she says in the words that if if the men go out to to fight with Bonnie Prince Charlie then She'll sleep with them all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so just before you play, I'll say my goodbyes. Uh, thank you to everyone who came uh, to this uh, live event tonight, and those of you who are watching on uh, Facebook. Um, this has been a real pleasure, and you've been listening to the Elias String Quartet. Beth Oaks of the University of Iowa School of Music has been with us as well. Um, uh, please remember that if you're interested in going to the Hancher uh, Auditorium Concert featuring the Elias String Quartet, it's on March 6th, and do go if you can. Also, there are many other residency opportunities uh, at to catch while they're here and you can go to uisqrp.wordpress.com slash Elias if you'd like to find out about those residency events. Um, I invite you to join us here in the uh, uh, in Merge and for the live events as they come along. Um, upcoming programs are listed on the International Programs website and all of our programs are available on iTunes, the Public Radio Exchange and the International Programs website. Our next program is April 25th in this room and I hope you can join us for that. It's called Air, Land, and Sea. What's next? It's a focus on climate and the environment. So once again, the Elias String Quartet. Thank you.